The prayer begins with a testimony to God and with the reward of faith when we say, Our Father who art in the heavens. For in so saying, we at once pray to God and commend faith, whose reward this appellation is. It is written, To them who believed on him he gave power to be called sons of God. However, our Lord very frequently proclaimed God as a Father to us, nay, even gave a precept that we call no one on earth Father, but the Father whom we have in the heavens. And so, in thus praying, we are likewise obeying the precept. Happy they who recognize their Father! This is the reproach that is brought against Israel, to which the Spirit attests heaven and earth, saying, I have begotten sons, and they have not recognized me. Moreover, in saying, Father, we also call him God. That appellation is one both of filial duty and of power. Again, in the Father, the Son is invoked. For I, saith he, and the Father are one. Nor is even our mother the church passed by, if that is, in the Father and the Son is recognized, the mother from whom arises the name both of Father and of Son. In one general term, then, or word, we both honor God together with his own, and are mindful of the precept, and set a mark on such as have forgotten their Father. The name of God the Father had been published to none. Even Moses, who had interrogated him on that very point, had heard a different name. To us it has been revealed in the Son, for the Son is now the Father's new name. I am come, saith he, in the Father's name. And again, Father, glorify thy name, and more openly, I have manifested thy name to men. That name, therefore, we pray, may be hallowed. Not that it is becoming for men to wish God well, as if there were any other by whom he may be wished well, or as if he would suffer unless we do so wish. Plainly, it is universally becoming for God to be blessed in every place and time, on account of the memory of his benefits ever due from every man. But this petition also serves the turn of a blessing. Otherwise, when is the name of God not holy and hallowed through himself? Seeing that of himself he sanctifies all others. He to whom that surrounding circle of angels cease not to say, Holy, holy, holy. In likewise, therefore, we too, candidates for angelhood, if we succeed in deserving it, begin even here on earth to learn by heart that strain hereafter to be raised unto God and the function of future glory, so far for the glory of God. On the other hand, for our own petition, when we say, Hallowed be thy name, we pray this, that it may be hallowed in us who are in him, as well in all others for whom the grace of God is still waiting, that we may obey this precept too, in praying for all, even for our personal enemies. And therefore, with suspended utterance, not saying, Hallowed be it in us, we say, In all. According to this model, we subjoin, Thy will be done in the heavens and on the earth, not that there is some power withstanding to prevent God's will being done, and we pray for him the successful achievement of his will, but we pray for his will to be done in all. For by figurative interpretation of flesh and spirit, we are heaven and earth, albeit, even if it is to be understood simply, Still the sense of the petition is the same, 
that in us God's will be done on earth to make it possible, namely for it to be done also in the heavens. What, moreover, does God will but that we should walk according to his discipline? We make petition, then, that he supply us with the substance of his will and the capacity to do it, that we may be saved both in the heavens and on earth, because the sum of his will is the salvation of them whom he has adopted. There is, too, that will of God which the Lord accomplished in preaching, in working, in enduring. For if he himself proclaimed that he did not his own, but the Father's will, without doubt those things which he used to do were the Father's will, unto which things, as unto exemplars, we are now provoked, to preach, to work, to endure even unto death. And we need the will of God, that we may be able to fulfill these duties. Again, in saying, Thy will be done, we are even wishing well to ourselves, in so far that there is nothing of evil in the will of God, even if proportionally to each one's deserts somewhat other is imposed on us. So by this expression we premonish our own selves unto patience. The Lord also, when he had wished to demonstrate to us, even in his own flesh, the flesh's infirmity, by the reality of suffering, said, Father, remove this thy cup. And remembering himself added, Save that not my will, but thine be done. Himself was the will and the power of the Father. And yet for the demonstration of the patience which was due, he gave himself up to the Father's will. Thy kingdom come has also reference to that whereto thy will be done refers, in us that is. For when does God not reign, in whose hand is the heart of all kings? But whatever we wish for ourselves, we augur for him, and to him we attribute what from him we expect. And so, if the manifestation of the Lord's kingdom pertains unto the will of God, and unto our anxious expectation, how do some pray for some protraction of the age when the kingdom of God which we pray may arrive, tends unto the consummation of the age? Our wish is that our reign be hastened, not our servitude protracted. Even if it had not been prescribed in the prayer that we should ask for the advent of the kingdom, we should, unbidden, have sent forth that cry, hastening toward the realization of our hope. The souls of the martyrs beneath the altar cry in jealousy unto the Lord. How long, Lord, dost thou not avenge our blood on the inhabitants of the earth? For, of course, their avenging is regulated by the end of the age. Nay, Lord, thy kingdom come with all speed. The prayer of Christians, the confusion of the heathen, the exaltation of angels, for the sake of which we suffer. Nay, rather for the sake of which we pray. But how gracefully has the divine wisdom arranged the order of the prayer, so that after things heavenly, that is, after the name of God, the will of God and the kingdom of God, it should give earthly necessities also room for a petition. For the Lord had withal issued his edict, Seek ye first the kingdom, and then even these shall be added. Albeit we may rather understand. Give us this day our daily bread, spiritually. For Christ is our bread, because Christ is life, and bread is life. I am, saith he, the bread of life.
and a little above. The bread is the word of the living God who came down from the heavens. Then we find, too, that his body is reckoned in bread. This is my body. And so in petitioning for daily bread, we ask for perpetuity in Christ and indivisibility from his body. But because that word is admissible in a carnal sense, too, it cannot be so used without the religious remembrance with all of spiritual discipline. For the Lord commands that bread be prayed for, which is the only food necessary for believers, for all other things the nations seek after. The like lesson he both inculcates by examples and repeatedly handles in parables when he says, Doth a father take away bread from his children and hand it to dogs? And again, Doth a father give his son a stone when he asks for bread? For he thus shows what it is that sons expect from their father. Nay, even that nocturnal knocker knocked for bread. Moreover, he justly added, Give us this day, seeing he had previously said, Take no careful thought about the morrow, what ye are to eat. To which subject he also adapted the parable of the man who pondered on an enlargement of his barns for his forthcoming fruits, and on seasons of prolonged security, but that very night he dies. It was suitable that, after contemplating the liberality of God, we should likewise address his clemency. For what will elements profit us, if we are really consigned to them, as it were a bull destined for a victim? The Lord knew himself to be the only guiltless one, and so he teaches that we beg to have our debts remitted us. A petition for pardon is a full confession, because he who begs for pardon fully admits his guilt. Thus, too, penitence is demonstrated acceptable to God who desires it, rather than the death of the sinner. Moreover, debt is, in the scripture, a figure of guilt, because it is equally due to the sentence of judgment, and is exacted by it nor does it evade the justice of exaction, unless the exaction be remitted, just as the Lord remitted to that slave in the parable his debt. For hither does the scope of the whole parable tend, for the fact withal that the same servant, after liberated by his Lord, does not equally spare his own debtor, and being on that account impeached before his Lord, is made over to the tormentor to pay the uttermost farthing, That is, every guilt, however small, corresponds with our profession, that we also remit to our debtors. Indeed, elsewhere, too, in conformity with this form of prayer, he saith, Remit, and it shall be remitted you. And when Peter had put the question whether remission was to be granted to a brother seven times, Nay, saith he, seventy-seven times, in order to remold the law for the better, because in Genesis, vengeance was assigned seven times, in the case of Cain, but in that of Lamech, seventy-seven times. For the completeness of so brief a prayer, he added, in order that we should supplicate not touching the remitting merely, but touching the entire averting of acts of guilt. Lead us not into temptation. That is, suffer us not to be led into it by him, of course, who tempts. But far be the thought that the Lord should seem to tempt, as if he either were ignorant of the faith of any, or else were eager to overthrow it. 
Infirmity and malice are characteristics of the devil. For God had commanded even Abraham to make a sacrifice of his son, for the sake not of tempting, but proving his faith, in order through him to make an example for that precept of his, whereby he was by and by to enjoin that he should hold no pledges of affection dearer than God. He himself, when tempted by the devil, demonstrated who it is that presides over and is the originator of temptation. This passage he confirms by subsequent ones, saying, Pray that ye be not tempted. Yet they were tempted, as they showed by deserting their Lord, because they had given way rather to sleep than prayer. When praying the Father, you are not to be angry with the brother. That we may not be as far from the ears of God as we are from his precepts, the memory of his precepts pays for our prayers a way unto heaven, of which precepts the chief is, that we go not up unto God's altar before we compose whatever of discord or offense we have contracted with our brethren. For what sort of deed is it to approach the peace of God without peace? The remission of debts while you retain them. How will he appease his father who is angry with his brother, when from the beginning all anger is forbidden us? For even Joseph, when dismissing his brethren for the purpose of fetching their father, said, And be not angry in the way. He warned us to be sure at that time. For elsewhere our discipline is called the way, that when set in the way of prayer, we go not unto the Father with anger. After that, the Lord, amplifying the law, openly adds the prohibition of anger against a brother to that of murder. Not even by an evil word does he permit it to be vented. Ever if we must be angry, our anger must be maintained beyond sunset, as the apostle admonishes. But how rash is it either to pass a day without prayer, while you refuse to make satisfaction to your brother, or else by perseverance and anger to lose your prayer? We must be free likewise from all mental perturbation nor merely from anger, but altogether from all perturbation of mind, ought the exercise of prayer to be free, uttered from a spirit such as the spirit unto whom it is sent. For a defiled spirit cannot be acknowledged by a holy spirit, nor a sad by a joyful, nor a fettered by a free. No one grants reception to his adversary, no one grants admittance except to his compere. Of Elevated Hands but we more commend our prayers to God when we pray with modesty and humility, with not even our hands too loftily elevated, but elevated temperately and becomingly, and not even our countenance over-boldly uplifted. For that publican who prayed with humility and dejection, not merely in his supplication, but in his countenance too, went his way more justified than the shameless Pharisee. The sounds of our voice, likewise, should be subdued. Else, if we are to be heard for our noise, how large windpipes should we need? But God is the hearer, not of the voice, but of the heart, just as he is its inspector. The demon of the Pythian oracle says, And I do understand the mute, and plainly hear the speechless one. Do the ears of God wait for sound? How then could Jonah's prayer find way out unto heaven from the depth of the whale's belly, 
through the entrails of so huge a beast, from the very abyss, through so huge a massive sea? What superior advantage will they who pray too loudly gain, except that they annoy their neighbors? Nay, by making their petitions audible, what less error do they commit than if they were to pray in public?